This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel. Want to travel anywhere in a Disney Park location? Contact Fairy Godmother Travel and tell them Communicore Weekly sent you. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born, identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. What up, George? Oh, nothing much. Just waiting to record the show. Well, I mean, I guess we're in the middle of it. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't have to wait anymore. I already hit the no. record button. That's it's, true. It's happening now. That's true. Wow. Right, right now. This could go on for a long time. It could go on for a long time. You know what? The last episode was really long. Why don't we skip the jibber-jabber and just go right into the episode? Our, our patented trademark banter? Trademark banter? Ding! <laughs> Great, another form I have to fill out now. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's a debate who's gonna So it's been a while since we've done a, a Disney debate, and with the recent news about Frozen taking over the Maelstrom attraction in the Norway Pavilion at Epcot. It's in the Norway Pavilion! Um, it's in the Norway <laughs> Pavilion! We figured we'd give it a little discussion on the show, not to beat a dead polar bear, but... Or a dead troll. That's, but, you know... That was very clever, George. Uh, I tr every once in a while, lightning strikes. And I wish it would strike right now. Um, <laughs> we, 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 want to, we want to talk a lot about get a discussion out there. And, of course, we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Don't forget to call the um, the GOAT line. We'll have the – not right now. Wait till after. Please listen. But, you know, I, I wrote an article about it, and it got a lot of comments and a lot of heat on Twitter, um, good and bad. And so we just wanted to talk about a few things. And – you know what? Uh, the, the basis for my article was, you know, a lot of people are angry about this, and really uh, hate to hate to bring this up, but they should just need to let it go, because it's gonna happen, no matter how much we complain, or send tweets, or get upset about it on Facebook. Frozen is coming to the Norway Pavilion. We know it. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah, yeah. Please okay. do. Okay, it's coming. We know that. We can't stop it. But what are your thoughts about it actually taking over Maelstrom? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I kind of... You skirted around the issue. I, I did skirt around it in the issue. Not a lot of people brought that up, which which interested me. I which is of, why I'm bringing it up now, sort of because I know no one else did. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeff Heimbuck asking the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> we need a sound effect. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> but... You know, I, I don't think it's a good fit. I would like to sit here and say World Showcase needs to stay as it is, just like I would like to have seen Future World stay. I mean, I loved Horizons, but obviously the ridership wasn't there. The Maelstrom ridership is not there. I don't know the last time I waited more than five minutes to ride one of the attractions, one of the premier attractions in World Showcase. Can uh, I make a, a counterpoint? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, when last time I rode it, 
was when we did the live show in 2012. And I've not had the interest or the need or the desire to go back and see it or okay. write it again. Fair point. So go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I will disagree about the ride waiting time. Um, I, <laughs> there, there are some off days, yes, where it yeah. is a very short line. But I think for the most part, and maybe this is just because of it's a, you know, it's a slow moving ride and they don't have a lot of boats. But I think the ride time or, or the wait time is generally pretty high for that ride, mostly because it's literally the only thing back there ride-wise that people can do. No, it's um, right next to the Grand Fiesta Tour. Exactly. It, it is. I mean, yeah. that one's usually a walk-on. Every once in a while, that I'll have a very long wait time. But, I mean, I think the ridership for that ride is still there. However, I think the money for maintenance for that ride yes. is not yeah. there, and that plays a huge factor into uh, the entire thing. Yeah, you had a great article in 2012 where you talked about the Norway Pavilion. How timely! 2012! <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, the uh, Carousel of Progress and some other areas of Walt Disney World that just weren't being taken care of. And, including Maelstrom. <laughs> yeah. And the Norway Pavilion, the host countries or the conglomerations for Norway stopped funding it uh, shortly after it opened, you know, not, not shortly, but a few years after it. And then in 2002, the country of Norway stopped funding it itself. They were throwing about $200,000 a year to it. So uh, for 12 years now, it has been funded by Disney specifically. So it's not had a lot of maintenance done to it. It's not had a lot of work, not nothing redone. And it is showing its age. It's showing its wear. You know, when we saw the changeover from El Rio de Tiempo to the Grand Fiesta Tour, you know, it, it had a lot of people yelling, a lot of people upset about it, but not like this. And I wonder if just because the, you know, the characters from the Three Caballeros, Three Caballeros are a little more Disney, or because it still kept a lot of the theme of visiting uh, Mexico, you know, whereas this is going to be a fictional country. <laughs> <laughs> that you're going to go visit and see. Granted, this and, fictional country does borrow a lot of the same elements yes. from Norwegian culture, but it's yes. still a fictional country that's going to be set amongst the world showcase of actual real countries, which to me kind of degrades the entire point of the world showcase. Yeah. May I throw out a suggestion, an armchair imagineering, if you will, which now Ooh. they'll never do, but yeah. if they're going to add Disney characters to these World Showcase countries, they should go all out and do it for all the countries at that point. Then. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, sure. that would make uh, sense at that point and not just have, you know, oh, here's France, here's China, here's Canada, mm. here's Frozen Land? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I don't think it's the best... I, personally, I, I, you know, I think there are other things they could have done. Could they get the ridership back up with anything? I mean, a, a lot of comments that we've seen and a lot of, you know, the comments on the article, the comments on Facebook, the comments on Twitter, really people were are passionate about this. They're really thinking about it and they know it's coming and they're trying to internalize it. Yeah. A lot of great comments, you know, or a lot, a lot of people said Frozen is a flash in the pan. It's going to be gone. We won't hear about in a few years or comparing it to the American Idol attraction and you can almost go to any elementary school child and they know this movie by heart. There are teenagers that have associated with the movie. There are parents or grown-ups that have sat through this movie that it has touched them in some way. 
this movie's not going anywhere. I, it's definitely resonated with yes. this, uh, the culture, our culture right now, for whatever reason that may be. So I don't mm -hmm. see it as a flash in the pan either. Granted, I, I agree, Tangled is a better film, but for oh, whatever yeah. reason, Frozen has gotten the critical and financial acclaim, um, and it, it hit a chord somewhere with all these people. So it makes yeah. financial sense for Disney. <laughs> To do this do i agree with this no <laughs> but does it make sense yes yeah. i mean you, the the waits for anna and elsa have been hours at Walt disney world and disneyland it's been crazy how long people were willing to wait so imagine an attraction in a theme park that most kids honestly or most kids don't enjoy uh because it's too spread out there's not enough excitement there's not enough uh characters or ip that they can touch they know about so you're, I mean, I personally think this is one of the best things Disney could do to revitalize, to get people coming back to World Showcase, sort of like putting Cars Land, you know, uh, at Disney California Adventure. I'm not comparing the two, I'm just saying there's a similarity there where you're going to bring a lot of attention. I mean, you know, when we were there for the Communitor, what do we do at DCA? We rode Radar Springs Racers. Yes. And we did do California Screaming because that's a fantastic roller coaster. And that's about it. We wandered around DC. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love wandering around DCA. But oh yeah, yeah. It's, this is. I mean, beautiful. obviously, Cars Land was a way to get people into DCA. Much yeah. like creating a frozen attraction is a way to get people into Walt Disney World. Period. That's why they are continuing to do all these frozen uh, summer themed things and you know nighttime stuff. It's insane. It's making them money. People are paying for it. Of course, they're going to continue to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, when you look at, you know, I, I made a comment about the Disney Parks blog being really positive, and a few people did call me, which I should have mentioned in the article, that it is moderated. It is heavily you moderated. Know, it's curated, so the negative comments didn't get through. There were over 60 comments, and a lot of them, and I'm doing a big generalization here, were parents and grandparents that were truly excited to be able to take their children down there to experience this. And that's what Disney's about. Yeah. It's about creating these family memories. It's about doing this. You're going to have huge weights. That side of it's going to be great for the Canada Pavilion for growing up drinking. Heck yes, it is. Because they're going to stay away from Norway because of the crowds, and they're going to go start in Mexico and drink over there. I mean, Canada. They're going to start in Canada and drink on that side. So, Sounds like a good idea, eh? You know, maybe we should maybe we should get Martin Short to sing some more songs. Hey, whatever. Hey, so maybe. maybe? Closing closing thoughts. What are your closing thoughts? Well, it, it's coming. It's inevitable. It may not be the best thing, but you know, we're not in charge of the Disney company and. They're going after the people that are spending money. Yes. And the people that love Frozen right now are spending money, and this is just what's going to happen. I'd like to see them, you know, put, you know, Marshmallow as the uh, Yeti in Expedition Everest. I think that'd be a great, great changeover for that I think ride. that'd be hilarious, to be <laughs> honest with you. But, you know, I just, I, I, I think it's a, a good idea for Disney for their bottom line. It's going to change Epcot permanently. We can't go back now and we just we'll never go this way again um i know it's a bad line it was terrible minute, so. i'm sorry yeah it was it was terrible so i'm i'm okay with it i will write it see what it looks like and you know, we'll make a judgment once we see it but i bet it's gonna be really well done i'm sure it's gonna be incredibly well done i mean I, just as a point of reference i you guys know we usually never do topical things on the podcast we always talk about historical stuff but i think you know, this topic kind of warranted warranted a lot, uh, a discussion yeah. at least, just because so many people are uh, talking about it. And you know, 
against the idea or for the idea, and we just wanted to provide some kind of level-headed commentary, I guess, as to why it makes financial <laughs> sense, even though we don't necessarily agree with the idea. Yeah, if they're going to make any changes, it's probably one of the best things Disney could do for themselves. Yes, I just agree. to get the money there. Yeah. As for this segment, I believe it's time for us to let it okay. go. <laughs> but please, we want to hear from you. So give us a call on the Communicor Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. And tell us what you think, good or bad, about Frozen taking over the Maelstrom. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Okay, this week's book is Warp Book 2, The Hangman's Revolution by Ian Colfer. Uh, the book was released this summer, and I was so thrilled to get my hands on it. The first book, uh, we reviewed it on the show a while ago, The Reluctant Assassin, really impressed both of us. And uh, when we reviewed it, we sort of talked about some of our favorite aspects of the book because it's got time travel. Oh yeah. Yay. Um, it really is an ingenious setup that Colfer created for this new series. And, you know, after the ending of The Reluctant Assassin, you've got these great characters and time travel. We really wondered, where is he going to take it in the future? That's what I wanted to know. Yes. So Colfer has actually been uh, one of my favorite authors since his Artemis Fowl series, which to me has always been like the anti-Harry Potter, which to me I thought was pretty great. So I was really yeah. excited when he was starting this new series. And, you know, like George said, the first book really kind of blew me away and didn't disappoint. So this book actually picks up where the last one left off. And we quickly learn that time travel kind of has a lot of consequences, whether what? or not, you know, you <laughs> are aware of the direct cause of them or that changing future or not and it, it's you know it's a really interesting premise that he creates and it kind of had me rereading the ending of the, oh. of the original book just to kind of refresh my memory yeah so the basically the premise of the warp which is a witness relocation program it's the fbi using time travel to you know take a person of note or a, a witness in a court case or someone that needs to be protected and they spirit them to the past so they'll be safe so genius they can't idea be killed. By the way. yeah um and you know as we find out in the first book strange and undesirable things happen when things get all wibbly wobbly you know with that timey wimey stuff the the hangman's revolution starts off pretty strangely and and i i felt a huge disconnect with the book almost to the point where i was like this is not even Colfer style at all and I'm a huge fan you know like Jeff I've read all the Artemis Fowl books loved them um, so I was pretty surprised at the first 40 pages it was really strange it was really hard to get through them for me yeah so but you know it could have been on purpose for what he was doing I, yeah I mean I agree I definitely think it actually was on purpose because it kind of throws you off a little bit because yeah in the same way uh, the main character Chevy she is kind of uh, out of place and out of touch with you know the world that she returns to so she's disoriented so it works that you kind of are disoriented as well um yeah. so you know because of the events of the first book a lot of things in the second book when she comes back have changed and she kind of remembers things very differently uh like we do because we were confused um <laughs> so we're both confused so it definitely made me as a reader fit into her shoes a little more um mm. and 
you know, things kind of picked up uh, after like page 40 or so. And it really, yeah. the, the story built a lot of steam and it regained its footing again. And it really became this really fantastic time traveling adventure all over again. Yeah, it did. You know, one of the things I liked, um, there were quotes at the beginning of each chapter by Charles Smart the inventor of this form of time travel and it, it helps sort of ground the story for me and you know sort of point out you know time travel may not always be safe or smart and they were always kind of doctor who-ish references which i thought was a great tie-in uh in, in addition to chevy we run into king otto in his rams uh the main character from the reluctant assassin riley is back and of course uh well not of course but there were some thundercats Oh. oh! Wow, we didn't even plan that. that no, was, we didn't. I'm glad we good. both went for that. That's yeah, great. That good. So, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, Thundercats aside, there are a lot of pop culture references for yeah. a book that takes place in uh, 18th century. Uh, yeah, 1899. I yeah, think, Victorian like London. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of interesting because the antagonist of the piece is this uh, this character uh, Box, who is actually from the future, but and we read about him in the first book, and he goes back into the past. And he accidentally sees the main characters while they're doing the events of the first book, which causes him to set the events of the second book in motion. And he kind of, you know, creates this empire around him in this future technology that he brings to Victorian London. And it's just, I know, it's a really interesting premise. Mm -hmm. And I, I was kind of, you know, it, it was interesting. He, he, the guy, uh, Box creates his religion about himself, essentially. And to me, um, it was interesting and it's very deep for a kid's book, I thought, because it asks a lot of interesting and, yeah. and deep questions about religion and the effects it has on a society, along with, you know, the origins of religious stories. So I, f I found that incredibly interesting, that how deep it went for a kid's book. Yeah, several times Box mentions in his inner monologue and when he's talking to some of the other characters, every great ruler uses religion whether he believes in the religion or not. And I was like, oh. Wow, Colfer. Okay, that's interesting. So, beyond that, <laughs> don't worry about that part. It's it's really a very spellbinding story. Twists and turns. Um, Colfer presents such a great tale, and it, it's more than just a page turner. Even though it's a great page turner, you get to the end of the, and you're like, oh, I want to see what happens. There's sophistication. There's intelligence. It's the hallmark of really good fiction, even though this is a teen book. Yeah. Um, the characters have a very human element to them. You can relate to a lot of what they're doing. Um, and just like uh, in The Reluctant Assassin, London is just as big of a character as the, <laughs> the characters of themselves. Uh, you really get a, a picture of a sepia-colored London that's not really romantic like you think Victorian London would be. Yeah, it's super uh. gross. <laughs> yes, it is. It's super gross. <laughs> I'm kind of rethinking my plans of time traveling back there just because it's super Dude, gross. Dude, we already agreed. We go back to the 70s to get pictures of stuff at Walt Disney World and, you know, ride the stuff that's no longer there. Yeah, but I thought after that we'd go... Okay. Oh, anyway, okay. We pinky sweared on that. We did yeah, pinky. We that's definitely happening. Other things. Okay. Regardless, okay. I love this book. I thought it was great. I definitely recommend it. If you haven't read the first book, obviously read the first book first yes. and then read this book. But I think it's great. I give it two thumbs up. Oh, I do too. Even even though it's like other books we said, it's geared towards teens and tweens, uh, adults that enjoy fast-paced and well-written stories that enjoy time travel or Doctor Who are gonna love this book and the Warp series. Uh, we're both really excited about it. I want you to pick up a copy. I can do two thumbs up. I'll go back in time. There'll be two of me 
we do four themes, four thumbs up. So that's like six. Okay, nice math, George. Well, I mean, four for me and two from you. Oh, okay. Unless you go back in time and do it, then we've got eight thumbs eight up. Eight thumbs up from time-traveling Jeff and George. <laughs> okay, so this week's book is The Hangman's Revolution, Warp Series 2 by Ian Colfer. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze, 60-second review. You know, I don't really think it's a surprise to anyone that we say we are massive fans of anything that Marvel has done in the theaters these days. And that kind of also extends over to the television realm with Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1 on DVD and (laughs) Blu-ray. So I didn't actually watch the show on TV, unfortunately. Um, I watched the first two episodes, and it was great, and then I just kind of lost track of it. I know you watched it on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. We watched it almost live as they were going, which was wonderful. I would not have been able to handle that, I don't think. (laughs) Um, Had to marathon it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the show, the first episode starts really strong, and then, you know, there's a couple of clunkers in there. But, like, the last two discs, I don't think I would have been able to handle waiting to see what happened next because every single one ended on this ridiculous cliffhanger and it just got mm-hmm. better and better and better and better. I mean, <laughs> every single, it was like a mini Marvel movie, each one. Uh, the story of, you know, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agency and, you know, their inner workings and and, and, and Agent Coulson. And Agent Coulson, which, it, that on its own is a whole interesting story. That was a fantastic plot line and, and meeting all the characters May and Sky and Gemma was, and why can I not remember any of the guys' names? Because uh, they're anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I what I also not only do they have really great stories on the show, but it also ties really well into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because yes. you can feel the the effects of the films, such as when Thor: The Dark World came out. Like immediately, the effects of that film were felt on the television show, and also yeah. when Captain America: The Winter Soldier came out and Shield uh, is no more. You uh, immediately at the last seven episodes, the after effects of that were undeniably present in the TV show and it was just great to see and it you know where the universe goes after the movie is over and they had these incredible storylines that you know on par with what we saw on movie screens and I really really enjoyed it um, oh yeah and uh, we didn't get to watch the blu-ray we watched it live so I know there were some extras yes um, we always like to hear about the extras on the blu-ray of course so there was a bunch of uh, there was five behind the scene field reports um, and each of these got like a little closer at some of the really big action set pieces uh, like uh, Chloe's uh, leap in the assets or Lorelai's battles in uh, Yes Men um, and then there there was a very good one that looked at the events of episode 17, Turn, 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 which I won't spoil, mm. but oh my, <laughs> what an amazing yes. episode that was. Yes, it was. It was fantastic. Um, they also included, there was a TV show on ABC not too long ago called Assembling a Universe about how, you know, they did the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's, actually, that's included on the disc also. Um, there's a couple of visual effects breakdowns, which for me as a movie nerd and like, you know, digital arts nerd, it was really cool to see how, you know, the original shot and how they built in all these digital effects and how seamless it was and how they film around it. That was really neat. Um, uh, an awesome gag reel, which was, it was pretty long as far as gag reels go, and it was actually pretty hilarious. I'll, I'll give them that. And to me, I think the best feature was actually a look at their trip to, uh, San Diego Comic-Con from last year. 
and it kind of shows a really personable uh, and human side to, to these actors and actresses. And, you know, I don't think they were really prepared for the type of response that they got uh, when they arrived there. And it was just kind of like a, a personal diary for them. And it was it was really um, it was really cool just to see that yeah. kind of small glimpse into you, their life. You touched on a little bit. And I think the, the real reason I mean, this is if you're a fan of the Marvel films, you need to watch this. You need to add it to your collection. Because it ties in so many things, it brings in so many other parts of the Marvel universe together. It adds together. so much more to the story. Yes, but every television episode, you know, uh, like you said, the first two were really good. Then it sort of went weird, but then it kicked right in quickly and, and kept going. Each episode was almost like a mini film. Yeah, uh, reminded me a lot of the Sherlock episodes. Oh yeah, absolutely. That are so well done and so well told, and you're like, what? It, the production didn't feel like it was a television show. It felt like it was a movie production. Yeah, which is exactly. great. And they they definitely keep a lot of the Marvel uh, touches. Like you mm -hmm. know, at the end of each episode, they had like the, the little stinger bit. You know, two ah, or three yeah. minute teaser for what you know what's coming next. Like they do at the end of all the Marvel films. And mm -hmm. I thought that was just fantastic. Um, yeah. But overall, I thought this set was great. And again, like George said, if you're a fan of the Marvel films, you definitely need to watch this because it is so worth it. So I say pick it up today. Go for it, guys. Hail Hydra. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. After drinking a couple of rounds over at Trader Sam's, you should try to keep an eye out because you might see some guys that come alive when nobody's around. What? So, I know, it's crazy, right? If you look high up on one of the shelves is actually a double-sided mug featuring the tiki versions of Sheriff Woody and Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. And at the request of the director, this mug was actually created specifically for the Disney Pixar uh, team members who worked on Toy Story 3. Only 500 were made, and each uh, one of them, they're individually numbered. Trader Sam managed to trade for two of them, so the next time you stop by, see if you can find them. Uh, I guess in this case, he got two heads for one of his? It's usually the opposite deal with him. It is, that's true. But that's true. I guess it works out well for him. <laughs> we do it that way, so. All right, guys, well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Yes, please leave us a comment. Give us a rating on the good old iTunes. Nine stars, that's what we like. <laughs> yes, uh, email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com. Of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly, where we always post all sorts of fun things over there. It, well, yes, yes, lots of great Tony Baxter Tuesdays. Yes. Tony Baxter exactly. Tuesday. We had a lot of suggestions <laughs> for Thursday, too. Uh, I think I might just change every Thursday because the last Thursday oh, was, a different one. was Thursday Gers Day. Um, ah. So I think we'll just have a different Thursday theme every week. So people could um, jump on Facebook and tell and us. And suggest a, yes. a Thursday theme. Yes, that'd be awesome. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628. Yep, and pick up your copy of Communicore Weekly, the musical. You can listen to it on Spotify and Google Play for free. 
or purchase a copy on iTunes, CD Baby, or Amazon helps support the Communicore Weekly Orchestra. Heck yes. Yep. And please visit the Communist store. Go to CommunicoreWeekly.com, click on the store link, buy some shirts. We got some great stuff on there. People have buying a lot of shirts lately, so thank you. We, we appreciate that, and we hope you enjoy wearing them and showing your pride, your Communa pride in the parks. Ooh, the Communa pride, that's good. Mm-hmm. Another trademark now, great. Ding. Gotta fill out the forms again. Sorry, George, creating paperwork for you. Okay, well, I guess it's time for us to go. Uh, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Hey, 